Okay, welcome to episode whatever it is uh, to Bridges, Maps and Medicine. My name is Nick Sun. Uh, I am the host of this thing. Today I am talking to Doug McIntyre, who is a very interesting man. He is an architect um, and has been on the healing path now for um, seven or eight years. Um, Doug's very unique because basically he grew up in a satanic cult and was the uh, survivor of ritual abuse, uh, which sounds pretty crazy. And um, we talk about that and his healing path, uh, navigating this realm and trying to heal uh, what is pretty much probably the most extreme trauma I think anyone can go through. And so, listening to him, uh, you know, the first time I met him, I remember just thinking that he was um, making all of this up. But the more I uh, spent time with him and became his friend and watched him through his healing process, I realized that uh, there was uh, some element, there was truth, there was truth to what he was saying, which really made me think, wow, uh, I can't believe this shit happens in this world. Um, and, uh, also, after hearing what happened to him, I was like, you know what, I didn't really have things that bad. You know, I might bitch and whine about my parents, but at the end of the day, at least they didn't ritually abuse me in the name of the Dark Lord for their own fucked up ends. So, uh, I guess there's a silver lining in every cloud, especially if you haven't been the victim of satanic ritual abuse. So... You know, I guess I should put in a trigger warning. Some of the stuff in this will probably freak you out. Um, but, you know, just deal with it. Doug has, is, and he's doing pretty well at it. So, you know, sit back and I was about to say enjoy. So I'm not really sure if enjoy is, but be enlightened. Or, um, you know, uh, learn um, some pretty interesting stuff about what goes on in certain families. And also, um, yeah, the hope that can come from pursuing the healing path and, and, and especially through the, the use of psychedelic plants, which have been basically uh, a big shift and a big help in helping Doug recover from this crazy-ass shit. Okay, so today we have Doug McIntyre on the deck. How are you today, Doug? I'm um, great, thanks, Nick, and yourself. Oh, well, the fucking podcasting equipment has done a number on me again, but I'm moving past it. <laughs> I'm not holding on to it. Technology. Yes, but uh, today I thought I'd interview Doug because Doug's lived uh, a hell of a life. And we're going to discuss... There's not really any easy way to get into this, Doug. So uh, basically, <laughs> Doug was grew up in a... What would you call it? Uh, I went through extreme trauma and abuse. Yep. Um, I'm still recovering a lot of my memories. So I'm on the memory journey. Okay. So I'm sort of probably midway on it. Uh-huh. Um, uh, initially, I remembered all the violence, then all the sexual abuse came back, then the ritual abuse, so okay. then the satanic stuff. Um, okay. So, so, so it was basically, you grew up in a satanic ritual abuse environment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So a lot of people listening to this, because I know when you first started telling me this, the first thing I thought was like, oh, is this, because I didn't know you, yeah. I was like, is this being made up? Yeah. 
because some of the stories you're telling me were pretty extreme. So I did, yeah. do want to just warn viewers, viewers, listeners, that uh, actually I'm not going to warn you. You've you've chosen to listen to this podcast, and I'm not going to do any trigger warnings. So I, I don't know how much you'd like to share. Can you can you share some of the things that went on? What what it was like to grow up in a, and also how common is this actually? It's a lot more common than people realise. I yeah. now have a number of friends who've gone through the same, which is brilliant because, um, yeah, a lot of times I don't go into the actual gory details because it's too confronting for people. It's a lot of people want to believe we live in a very normal society. Yeah. Um, but for people like myself and other survivors, um, there's a very dark underbelly, particularly with those who are at the top. And we're seeing a lot of this come out with MK Ultra, Operation Paperclip, all these different sorts of things. And there's a lot of uh, more info getting on the web and more and more survivors speaking okay. up. Yeah. And so when did this stuff, uh, I mean, how much of it could you share, like, as in terms of like, you don't have to go into the gory details, but like, you know, what ages it started happening, how how you were sort of, uh, were you born into this thing? Well, they're the journeys I'm partway on, if I can put it that way. Okay. So, I'm researching bloodlines okay. to see whether my family is, a, you know, one of the bloodlines of the cults. Um, okay. Because there's a lot of generational abuse in my family um, that goes back numerous uh, generations. Okay. But again, you know, it's uh, a lot of people don't want to talk about it, if I can put it that way. So I've had, okay. to, I've had to start doing the hard research, doing the DNA testing, starting to go interview uh, relatives who I haven't spoken to in, you know, since I was a child, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, a lot of people aren't keen. So I'm getting bits and pieces, but then I'm also getting my own memory. So I've been using... Um, the psychedelics for that as well. But if I can go back a step. So, you know, growing up, I grew up in an extremely abusive childhood, yeah. um, in ter especially in terms of violence. Yeah. Uh, my parents never touched me, never hugged me, never sat down and talked to me. You know, I had to get out of the house, um, you know, after breakfast and yeah. I wasn't allowed until dinner time. Um, and it was just a, a brutal childhood, if I can put okay. it that way. And uh, what, what ages was this happening? The whole childhood. The whole childhood. So my father was around till I was 14. He would come and go as he pleased. So he would disappear for periods and come back. Okay. And I left home when I just turned 18. So, okay. you know, so I hung around because I wanted to get through school and go to uni, yeah. which I grew up in Mount Druid in Sydney. So we were, we were probably, you know, the poorest of the poor out there. Oh, really? Yeah. So my father, he was a good worker. He earned a good income, but he spent it on himself. So we usually got our food from the Smith family in boxes okay. and I, you know the clothes I would you know go through the Vinnie's bags to yep. see if there's anything in there I like so I you know I never had toys I never had a normal childhood I never had parents who said how was your day today um, you know it's it, the, the home environment was you don't speak unless you're spoken to if you speak yep. out of turn you get hit across the head so hard you normally flew across the room oh wow um, if you talked back um, you'd be lifted up and this is from three, four, five onwards, you'd be lifted up by one hand and whipped until you couldn't stand by down. By your father? Oh, both my parents. Both my okay. parents were highly abusive. Um, so the, the satanic cult was operating in Mount Druitt or? Well, these are the things I'm starting to piece together. So near Mount Druitt is the, uh, there's a boys, the Derek boys' home. 
So a lot of guys there have been abused. You know, my brother went to Nepean Crippled Children's School and he told me of a lot of abuse that happened there. You know, there, there seemed to be back then, there were no social services. Yeah. People didn't talk about things. Like I would turn up at school, I think I was about eight or nine, I was in second class. My mother had beaten me to a pulp. So from my head to my toes... There was not a spot on my body that didn't have bruises or red oh, okay. marks. And all the kids made fun of me. I mean, I didn't give a shit because that was nothing compared to what I was enduring at home. Yeah. And the teacher, the deputy headmistress took me in and looked after me for the day. So my teachers were aware when I'd turn up at school in certain conditions that things were going on, but no one got involved. Mm. You know, another time, and my parents were violent towards each other. So my so, father... So was this ritualized violence or just straight up violence? Well, this is home violence. So okay. there were different levels to this. So, you know, both my parents were highly narcissistic, so it was always about them. Okay. You know, my father treated us kids as though we were his property. Okay. Um, and so we, we were just like slaves. We were okay. meant to be there. We were meant to do what we're told. Um, yeah. And if we didn't, the consequence was brutal. Okay. So obedience was paramount. But when my, I didn't start recovering the, I, I had all the body memories, but I didn't understand the somatic uh, implications of that. So I had extreme trauma, extreme anxiety. When my daughter was born was when I started first remembering the satanic ritual abuse memories. Okay. So she was my second child. You know, I absolutely loved and adored my children and still do. Um, and when she was born, I had these totally overwhelming senses of death where I just couldn't look at her with feeling this sense of death. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? I I love this child. She's beautiful. You know, she's healthy. What's going on? And then I was in the shower one night and these, I was a minister in the church at that time on the side. Um, this Bible verse came to me that said, the dark places will be made light and the rough places made smooth. And I started getting recollections of being involved in a ritual satanic ceremony with my father and one of his best mates while we're, you know, in front of, well, in, you know, in the midst of what you would say a um, audience. Okay. And I was forced as a three-year-old to partake in this ceremony. My hand was held on a knife while they were killing another child. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And like, how do you verify that these memories, if you don't mind yeah, me yeah, asking, sure. are, are like real Sort of. Um, well, how I've been verifying them is once I recover the memory, yeah. I notice my responses to normal stimuli in life shifts. Okay. So if so, what happens is my trauma reduces. Yeah. So every time I get another memory, I become more normal, if I can okay. put it that way. Yeah, so yeah. as it comes up and as I process it, deal with it, and You're heal able it. To like regulate yourself more. Yeah, regulate. I notice how I respond to other people calms. Okay. So with this this being the first one was, it took a long while to work through that. Yeah, um, obviously. I'd started going to meetings for survivors of sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, I'd also gone to talk to the police and they were the, first, they were the ones who said to me, this sounds like ritual satanic abuse. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, because uh, when, when you go through ritual satanic abuse, they actually have a very distinct procedure of how they abuse you so that it segments the memories um, into parts of your mind so you don't remember it. Because if you remember, that puts them at threat. Oh, okay. That puts them at risk. So they so traumatize they, you yep. and mind control you in a way that you block it out. Do you, how, how do they do that? Do you... 
well, basically, they traumatize you so severely that you disassociate. Okay. And so then I, I was highly, highly dissociative. So when my father, um, as I've worked through this, when my father would climb into my bed to sexually abuse me, um, there were certain things he would do to me and I'd blank out. And I'd wake oh. up in the next morning and he's gone. And okay. so that would be blank. You know, I'd remember him starting to penetrate me, for example, and then I'd black out and then that would be blank to the next morning. I'd go to school like nothing had happened. Oh, okay. But yeah, for yeah. men in particular, um, when our children are born, they're normally the trigger points for us for repressed memories. Oh, for, for men mainly or for uh, women as well? No, for men mainly. Sometimes women as well. But for women, it's typically when the kids leave home. Ah. And then they can start looking after themselves and otherwise their kids are their priority. So the kids leave home and then all of a sudden the memories ah, okay. come back. And so more memories. Uh, do you mind going to like what element of it was satanic? Were they like actually trying to like ritualize all this in the name of Satan? Um, yeah, it, it's it's all the ceremonies. Well, it, it comes back to all the adrenochrome and the blood drinking because that's like an opium to them. So they get addicted to it because it, it's so the adrenaline in the blood. Um, okay. There's all sorts of different things. So my father would do things another time, you know, my father and another man uh, buried me alive in a box while my brother was watching. Okay. Um, and he, uh, you know, they would, as children, they would try and make us like them. Oh, okay. So when my father would sexually abuse me at a very, very young age, if my body got aroused, I didn't want it, then he'd go, you're just like us, you're just like us, oh. you want this, you want this, you know. Um, and when they would bury me alive, they'd say to my brother, it's your fault that he's being buried alive because oh. you haven't behaved. Or when they would kill a child, they would normally allow you to spend time with the child beforehand. So you got to realize at home, I'm not being touched in any way in, in normal family life. Yeah. So that creates a deficit. So when I am abused, you crave the touch. Yeah, I've heard about this. Yep. Yeah. So what they're trying to create is a, they're using natural human processes to corrupt you as a human yeah. being. And so they're trying to make it so that you crave that intimacy, but then when they bring it in, they do it in a way that is... Um, Fucked up. Totally fucked up. Yeah, and then they blame you for it. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so they held my hand on the knife, um, and I didn't want it there. My, I remember my father clenching it on there, and then I'm told that I killed that girl. So these, okay, so like these are like, well... They're mind games. Yeah, uh, they sound pretty like... Where did they develop? Like, how, Is this like a tradition that these guys um, are doing? Or like a, the, is, they're in, absolutely fascinated with psychology. Yeah, and they're also fascinated with the human condition, and you've got to think of how Hitler experimented on people and yeah. cut them up. You know, they're, they're totally fascinated with that. I've got friends whose parents were very involved in that and would bring people home just to, you know, live people, kill them and cut them up just to, you know, explore how the body worked or they do mind experiments. Yeah, all sorts of things. Oh my god! But they, you know, when they're narcissists. And they do evil things. Their element of fear is so high that the only way they can feel safe is to, in a sense, try, uh, try to control everything. And the only way they can try and control everything is to know more than the average person. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So it's a whole control mechanism. That's why they gravitate um, towards positions of power because that's the only way they're going to feel safe yeah. if they have total power, total control. But what's happening um, is... 
or their mind control techniques are breaking down. So a lot of us are now starting to remember, starting to do podcasts, starting to talk about it and starting to help other survivors. Okay. So as you get older, um, you know, these indoctrination, these fear systems break down. And with the psychedelics, for example, they, um, you know, the benefit for me with using them is they're able to circumvent elements of the mind control. Not all of it, because I've had to go and do personal work myself. Yeah. But, um, you know, I had about 20 dissociative parts. Um, I didn't realize I was dissociative. So I was, you know, normally you have what's called a front person and then you have higher ups inside. Yeah. Then you have uh, middle people inside who are like perpetrators and then you have your child parts. Okay. And when what's they... A, what's the front person's your front? Yeah, like th- this is my face. conscious person. Okay. So sometimes I don't have any memories of having amnesiac blocks as an adult but as a child they knew how to trigger it so when they would do you know the horrific stuff to me or to other people i wouldn't remember so with the memories they don't just put one memory over here they will put the smell of that memory in this part over here they will put the sound of the memory in this part over here they will put the feelings of the memory so when you're trying to recover the memories you can't complete the memory till you get all the different parts of it. Yeah. And when you get the parts of it, that's how you unlock the mind control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess in, in response to the trauma, you've almost created, like, I, I, I perceive you to be a fairly successful person. It's not like you're living on the street or anything. You're actually quite yep. a successful architect and yep. you've got a thriving business. And um, so in some ways, maybe in response to the trauma, you were able to, like, actually... Um, yeah. Well, well, I'm one of the lucky ones. I mean, I, I was talking with um, Rachel Vaughan and Max Lowen, who are two other survivors that I, who are good friends now, and we're all quite highly functioning, okay. but we're not the normal, if I can put it that okay. way. Okay, so um, what's the normal? Normal like? is addiction, suicide, or you know, getting murdered. You know, um, yeah. You know, um, you know. I think I've survived. I don't know half a dozen murder attempts so far. Okay. Um, so it's you know, it's not like I just sit here and they let me go. A yeah. lot of survivors, I will go after them and after and after them and try and bring them back in and all sorts of things. So it's uh, and uh, okay. Oh, there's a lot of questions. <laughs> so, I mean, like, oh, so you, there's this, is there an, is, is this cult like, like, uh, sort of one sort of semi-organized cult? Or is, uh, the, the, it, is no, there the, several going on? Um, there's several and they fight and all the rest of they it. They fight against, do they know each, each other? Uh, I don't know. I don't have a lot of memories yet on that. I don't remember my father or mother being part of any organizations whereas friends parents were either in the freemasons you know there's a lot of evidence about uh, the cults being active in the freemasons or there's i think the eastern star is one of the main cults what's the eastern star i think that's one of the cults in eastern states of australia where you have a lot of uh, women involved and things like that and i think that's an associated involved in actually running them yeah, in okay. Freemasonry. Um, if you listen to Fiona Barnett, she's talked a lot about uh, Holsworthy Army Base being where they do things. The military has a lot of it. Um, okay. So when you're very high up in the military, you think CIA, and that when they do the mind control programs or interrogation, uh, got friends who've been um, 
you know, one friend's uncle was a chief interrogator at the Vatican who would, you know, do horrific things to people. So I, I have I have seen this narrative present itself where, where these cults are operating in like the higher echelons of society. Like why are these uh, ritual abuse cults associated with people in positions of power? Does that come with the position or does it just they just get warped by power and they're like, all right, let's go. Um, well, they're narcissists and they're psychopaths. So they know they've done really bad stuff like to a point my father would basically kill someone and block it out and then go and do it again um how did he get away with this though um because the police won't the police protect him a lot of the people i know who have gone through this the police just walk walk away and i've gone to the homicide squad in new south wales i've gone to federal police um in sydney as well and they they do everything they can to shut us down so most of us who come out as whistleblowers they try and have us classified as insane okay and then there's a hospital up in brisbane a lot of whistleblowers are put into um and then drugged up or killed or whatever okay and is it easy to is it easy to find any evidence for all this sort of ritual killings and stuff like that? Uh, well, there is. There's um, well for me the evidence has been the trauma in my body. Yeah. Because like my father knew how to hit me, which my mother was very jealous of, without leaving marks. Okay. So you know I'm trying to keep the paper trail of all the things I'm submitting. Other people are submitting thousands of pages of evidence um, on this, on pedophilia. So what you've got to realize is they tend to infiltrate the top of any powerful organization, whether it's you know political government, whether it's business, whether it's religious or spiritual, those things. So well, who, who's, who's they, the, the cults? The, the cults, okay. yeah. Um, so their, their practice is infiltration. You know? um, and so the people down the bottom, you know, normally a lot of these places are very normal loving people not realizing that those at the top uh you know um are quite heinous in in their yeah. behavior so when i've even i've come out of the cult and even though i've done very well in my career i'm constant i'm having to constantly battle those at the top directing people down the food chain of government to make things hard for me okay so I've had issues with some of the councils um, because I have to obviously deal with councils all the time yeah. where they will go to my clients and say to my, and my clients have come to me and told this and tell my clients that they are not to use me and they will not approve anything that I submit, oh. even though you know, I have a reputation for producing a high standard of work. Mm. You know, so that's, that's how the, and people don't want to lose their job or they'll do what they're told or they'll get threatened. So okay. it's, you know, how they operate. And you've got to think of, um, and this is where MK Opera, Ultra Operation Paperclip and things like that come into play. You know, they... they or just for people who might not know MK Ultra and Paperclip. Um, well, that, that's... MK Ultra, I know, is when the CIA were testing LSD on the public. Well, that's a small part of it. So when Nazi Germany fell, they took all the scientists from there into the different Western countries and other countries because they wanted all their research. Yeah. And so then they went into all of this with LSD, with all sorts of different things to look at ways that can mind control and manipulate people and things okay. like that. So basically and you have these intelligence agencies that really direct the governments. Okay. And, you know, there are examples where, and I don't have any names, I'd have to have a look into it, but where politicians get into power, very altruistic beliefs, um, and then they're either bribed, threatened, or compromised. Okay. And so then, you know, they want the politicians to do the biddings of, you know, the, the, the powerful. Yeah. And powerful what's paperclip? 
Uh, paperclip, I think, was was part of that. I think paperclip was more the part where it came into Australia. I'm not fully up on that. Gabby Chung um, does a lot of uh, webcasts or podcasts on that, and she's doing a lot of research into okay. that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, then, uh, I guess what I'd like to move on to is like the healing that you've you've your healing path from trying to recover from this extreme yep. um, abuse. Uh, especially through psychedelics, because from what I've researched, uh, uh, actually, when ritual satanic ritual cult abuse survivors are usually actually highly resistant to psychedelics. Yeah. But you you say the opposite that it's actually quite helped you a lot. Well, yeah. Well, for me, you know, in my childhood, I was highly highly dissociative. Yeah. I left home in eighteen. I went to uni. Um, then my brother, who I was living with at the time, was killed. Yeah. So then I started trying uh, cognitive therapy. I started with psychotherapy and things like that to try and deal with his death because, yeah. you know, he and I lived together. I turned up at uni, police turned up and hauled me off to the morgue to identify his body. So that yeah. was incredibly traumatic for me. They tried to put me on meds. I couldn't do it because I just felt numb. Yeah. Um, Later on, I went to the uh, I, I went to a survivors meeting, yeah. um, and a woman came up to me, and like I was totally in denial, totally blocked out. All I'd remembered was the violence and a little bit of the sexual abuse. Um, and a woman came up to me and she said, "Oh, do you have DID?" And I said, "What's that?" She said, "I oh, dissociative identity disorder." And I'm like, "She has my kids have got it, you know." Yeah. And as she explained it to me, my whole body went into almost like convulsions. I ran from the room as fast as I could to the bathroom. I was throwing up and shitting myself and, you know, I'm sitting on a toilet and everything in my body was going crazy because I'd spent all my life up until then being separate. Mm. And then all of a sudden someone came up and joined the parts. Okay. And so my conscious person then was being connected to all the trauma. So normally when we go through trauma, we block it out as a survival mechanism. So it's a healthy mechanism that they've abused in order to control people. Um, But the... You know, so that was early in life. So by the time I'd always wanted, felt attracted to do Ayahuasca mm-hmm. from my 20s, but every time I tried, it just didn't fall into place. So fast forward till my mid 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was 2018. I thought, let's try again. And then all of a sudden, within three months, I'd had six offers to do it. So I thought, okay, that's, that's the right time. Okay. So, so how would you describe your state before getting on the psychedelic healing path uh, to when you started working with them? Like, where were well, you at? The state I was at then, I'd had decades of therapy. Yeah. I started working through all my dissociative parts. I started integrating. I'd started working with my head. I knew what was there. And I started having the framework for my past and sort of a clear understanding what had happened, but I didn't have all the pieces to the puzzle. Uh-huh. So I went and did um, a very heavy dose of Ayahuasca over two nights um, with Julian and it was incredibly confronting because all of a sudden it it taught me to face myself. So I had experiences where the pure me was standing in front of me, the me without all the trauma, because I'd always wondered who I was because the trauma you know, impacted me so p- profoundly in my life. Um, and the AUS made the pure version of me get bigger 
which okay. kicked in all my control mechanisms. So the current version of me is like, no, 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 no. This is, I'm feeling out of control. Um, and so what the AUS or what the plant medicine started to do was imprinting the healing path on my soul. Okay. So like the imprinting you, the healing, healed version of you. Yeah. Versus, so basically prior to the psychedelic path, would you say you had quite a lot of control issues? Oh yeah, I had huge control issues. And then issues, the psychedelic started well, the st- psychedelic them. started showing it. So the pure version of me got so big that I just gave up. Okay. Which was where I find the plant medicines get you to at different points. They, they get past the yeah the ego and look all these control mechanisms I'd built up were survival mechanisms yeah. and they were really good for me to get through my childhood at different in different ways. I mean, there's pros and cons, but they weren't serving my highest good now. So the medicine was saying, okay, you've got to let go of this. You've got to stop controlling everything and you've got to start opening up and and dealing with this. And, you know, at that point I pissed my pants and I just let go and (laughs) just felt totally overwhelmed and, you know, (laughs) crawled out of the, you know, and lay in the paddock just looking at the stars, you know, and just tripping. Were you getting any flashbacks at all to... Yeah, it, it was a horrific night. It's I'm still dealing with it because a lot of... How long ago was that? Uh, that was 2018, so okay. about five years ago. Okay. Um, and I didn't understand a lot of what happened that night, but it was so confronting. I almost hopped in the car and left. Yeah. So I drove up the petrol station the next day to get petrol. And the further I got away from where we were staying, the worse the energy got. And I thought, no, I'm meant to go back. So I went back, sat in the paddock, and I just said to the medicine and, you know, the, you know, my God and things like that, I can't do another night of this. So we're going to have to sit down and we're going to have to do some negotiation because that, it, that was a rough night, you know. Oh, so what happened on the second night then? Uh, well, the second night was rough too. Okay. Um, <laughs> I thought you said that you couldn't do this and you did it. Well, I, yeah, that's how I said. I, I didn't think I could do it again, but I, like, I wanted to do it again, but I didn't want to go through what I'd gone through the first night. And I'm still dealing with that first night and understanding what went on and why. And mm-hmm. um, But I was given profound understandings of things that you wouldn't get in conventional therapy. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, you have these... Um, you know, I met the force of life that runs through everything in all creation. Okay. And he explained to me how all that worked and why. He said, look, you know, he oh, said... Oh, so it's like an entity. He's an energy. An energy. What, but he was a masculine energy to you. Um, yeah, he, he was masculine. Um, but he said, look, he said, I am the life force of procreation Yeah. in everything. He said, and if I stop, the lights go out. Yeah. So he said... I need to go, I need to procreate through love. Yeah. But if love isn't present, then it comes through dark energy like rape and hate and things like that. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, because he said the act of procreation has to keep going on because if we stop it, we, we cease to exist. And, uh, and that's an so even non-dual, worse really. Sorry? He's non-dual. Yeah. And he wasn't, he was saying, you know, the, you know, the forceful, aggressive stuff isn't good stuff. He's saying, you know, we need to act through love, but in the absence of love, these other things appear. Yeah, yeah. Which for me was a um, like a really important lesson in, in terms of how I looked at things. So a number of my paradigms, you know, were quite profoundly shifting. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess the value judgments would be sort of uh, subtracted. 
Yeah, well, rather than going to someone and saying, oh, you're a hateful person or you're horrible or I'm a victim or that sort of stuff, you go, okay, well, they have an absence of love. Yeah. So what happens if I start gently trying to, rather than hate this person, because I've got, you know, people um, that I know who... um, who've been involved, you know, in the dark side of this abuse and it totally destroys them, yeah. um, you know, some of my abusers, and their resilience and resistance to love is profound. They will constantly act in a way that people hate them, yeah. if I can put it that way. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so so ayahuasca was your first taste of psychedelics, and before that you hadn't done anything, right? No, you know, Except I'd always been... A glass of wine or whatever. Well, I didn't even like that. For for me, my control issues were so strong, I couldn't be out of control. Because okay. you've got to realize, well, I'd actually done drugs as a child unwillingly. At different times, they'd drugged oh, me. With what? Uh, one was a, a numbing drug when they, I was trafficked because I was quite resistant to it. Yeah. And so that was to make me more compliant. And that didn't work because I, I was basically a rag doll. Yeah. Um, but another time, um, they actually gave me psychedelics. I don't know if it was LSD or what it was, but they gave me such a high dose that it scared the hell out of me. So my safe place as a child was to leave my body. Okay. But when they gave me this mega dose of, I'm assuming it was LSD. How old were you, roughly? I'm not sure, to be honest. All I remember is the experience being so horrified that, I'm shooting through galaxies and I don't know what's going on and all the rest of it, okay. um, that all of a sudden, my safe place outside of my body was no longer safe. Oh, okay. So where did you go to after that? How do you mean? Well, what happened after that then, if, if your safe place was no longer your safe place? Um, well, it was... I, I learned to... The reason why I took the career I did was because then I had to go into my imagination. Oh, okay. So I would, be, you know, I would sit there and just create these worlds in my head yeah um like i'd plan cities and design houses and so i'd, I'd constantly paint I'd, i was non-stop creativity yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. but they're all control mechanisms they're, they're me trying to find a safe place okay because i couldn't there's no i could go i'd lie in bed as a little kid you know wondering how i could kill myself or wondering where i could run to but I'd never been taught how to ask for help. Yeah. So I never felt comfortable asking anyone for help. And if anyone was nice to me, I was suspicious. Yeah. So you're sort of trapped in this horrible existence. Okay. And okay, so let's keep going with the the psychedelic path. So the ayahuasca was the first thing. And what what did you do after that? Well, the ayahuasca was the first. um, And also just quickly. uh, Yeah. How? What would you say the limitations of all the therapy, the user therapy you've done? Yeah. And what are the comparisons to then doing psychedelics? And do you reckon all the therapy prepared you for the psychedelics, or? Yeah, I like I like trying different modalities and to see what works at different times. When I started my healing journey, I couldn't talk about myself at all. Yeah. So I did a year of psychotherapy. So it took me a year to learn how to talk about myself. Because yep. I didn't know how to do it. Because in psychotherapy, the therapist doesn't talk. Yeah. You know, you're just meant to talk. And so that took me a year. And then I, I moved uh, to different modalities. I've always read a lot. Um, and so all the years of therapy have been very good. And I've been quite clear if a therapist wasn't good for me, or I didn't feel right with them, or it got to the point where 
you know, um, I needed to go away and put into practice. I'd do those sorts of things. So I never just put up with a therapist. I was always quite, um, you know, like one guy went to and said, the first session he says, I don't believe in disassociation. It's all crap. I've done a PhD on it, da-da-da-da-da. And I said, well, thanks, well, I'm not coming back. Yeah, yeah. Because it was a modality that worked for me. So the the understanding of disassociation was brilliant because all of this laid the groundwork. And I think that's why I couldn't do the medicine until I was ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then in my 50s, I have this very – and I'd never done recreational drugs or anything like that until probably mid to late 40s. Okay. Um, which was good because by then I'd sorted my head out. So when I tried different things, I could understand, okay. you know, that sort of head. So the therapy helped you sort of map your... Yeah, my psychology. My psychology. Yeah. But it, my didn't, it didn't actually weaknesses. shift any of the... Well, it did because over the decades that I did dissociative therapy, I started... Um, what is dissociative therapy? Quick? Uh, well, it's like you... Well, disassociation is when your uh, consciousness is split into multiple parts. Okay. So you can have things where um, you can switch from one part to another part and you have a totally different yeah. experience. Okay, yeah, like past therapy and IFS sort of stuff. Yeah, but it's like, um, you know, if I had extreme disassociation, sometimes you get a different experience with time. You can sit there and watch the hands on the clock spin. Mm. Okay. You know, or you might have complete blackouts of time, for example. Yeah. So some a couple of times I had it where I was driving my car and I had blackouts and I don't know how I got from here to here. Okay. You know. <laughs> it's a bit uh, unsafe. <laughs> well, it is. It, it, but it's uh, another part of me obviously took over and drove quite well. Yeah, yeah. And this didn't happen often. I think I only had that happen once or twice. Or I'd drive down a road that I'd driven down thousands of times and it was like I'd never been there. So I could tell when I'm in a part that was non-dominant. Okay. So what in, through the therapy, I learned to map my internal personality structure. Okay. And then I learned to, I would progressively start to sit down with different parts of me. The beginning started when they, you know, I really hated myself or parts of myself and I decided not to do that anymore. And I decided to make friends with my demons, my shadows, okay. my dark side. So there were three parts of me that really, really angered and irritated me. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sit down and respond to them with like love and understanding and understand why they're that way. Yeah. And that um, that started teaching me tools with how to work with myself. Okay. And so those parts had things in them that I always envied in other people. Oh, okay. And so when the golden I, shadow. Yeah. So when I embrace them, those personality traits came into me and then I shifted oh, okay yeah. so my personality shifted and again how I responded I to that. other people yeah. shifted that's like shadow work well yeah. it sounds like very yeah. simple shadow work but what happened was I really like assimilation so some survivors and people who are dissociative don't want to assimilate whereas I really enjoy the process yeah and so often these parts would then often their child parts and so as I would hear them and get to know them I'd give them different job descriptions I'd say to them you know are you happy typically no they don't want to be a perpetrator you know because they're a perpetrator in the system in my head if, if that makes sense yeah keeping other parts of me under control and not speaking up about or remembering and those things okay so your internal dissociative system is structured as though it's an external perpetrator system Okay. 
So it's like you're living in a uh, subconscious world that that mirrors the cult world. Okay. Yep. Yep. So you've like internalized so I've as got, a structure. So my mother and my father would be different. They to look like different parts of my personality system. Okay. So the child, like my inner child. Parts, so would you have like, would you act like your mother or your father at times, like in? Probably, probably not. I, I've always been very um, controlling. Okay. And so I've been able to navigate a very narrow path through all of this. Yeah, yeah. But I've had to be extremely controlling to do it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so when I would have dark thoughts come up. I would just block them out. Okay. Yeah. So uh, just to move on, uh, with the psychedelics, how, how would that compare to the therapy or the therapy that you've done? There? Well, well, to me, they all work in together. Yeah. Like at the moment, I like. Was I, it like accelerating the process deeply? Oh, or? totally, totally. Yeah. You know, when people say, I mean, that weekend of ayahuasca as confronting as it was was profound yeah so normally i what were the, what were the benefits that came out of that like in well normally life? i get really bad social anxiety and i didn't realize how bad my anxiety was i mean i couldn't walk across traffic lights yeah without going to anxiety if, if any group looked at me or i had to give a performance in front of a group i would go into absolute terror yeah but i hadn't recovered the number of the cult memories. So I didn't realize why I was going into that. Okay. When I did that first weekend of Ayahuasca, I came back on the Monday. I had to give a presentation in front of 30 company executives. And I walked into the room, went up on stage, eyeballed everyone in the room, which I could never do before, gave the presentation ad hoc and got a standing ovation. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was immediately transformational. Wow. Um, which surprised me because it had been such a full-on weekend. Mm. But, and I'm still not understanding the mechanisms of why that happened. Maybe it's, again, because a lot of that trauma was starting to be released out of the system. But now, like, as I go on with the medicines and different modalities, it's like I become more normal every day. I, each time I heal, I keep going, oh, okay, this is what a normal person is meant to be like. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't have the... and. It, it, I went through a stage where it was quite difficult and it was quite confronting because mm-hmm. I was realizing how abnormal I was yep. and how damaged I was and how hurt I was. And there was a lot of grief associated with that. You know, when I look back and see how, how many beautiful people tried to help me, but I was incapable of seeing their help mm. because of the, of the level of trauma I'd been through and mind control and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, it's been a journey with the medicine. So the first year, while I was doing the medicines that year, I was interspersing them with doing Kundalini yoga. Okay. And, and what, um, so let's systematically go through yep. <laughs> the yeah. psychedelics that you then worked with yep. and which ones were the most effective for you and what, what, and which ones healed what? Okay. In, in relation to your well, well, they're all trauma. quite different. So, you know, the AU, I mean, I, I resonate with them all. So yeah. for me, it's I have a profound respect and love for the medicines and the intelligence and the awarenesses that they give to me. Um, and I, what I want to say too is, it's not just the weekend or the trip, if you can call it that. Yeah, yeah. That's profound, but it's what happened in my life afterwards that was even more profound. Okay. It's the 
epiphanies and the realizations and the understandings of self and the understandings of what you've gone through and how you make your way in this world and how you can have a better journey, which is profound. After that first weekend of Ayahuasca, I came home and I got woken up every morning at 2.30 in the morning. And so from 2.30 to 6.30 for four hours every night, I had this healing energy. And this went on for six weeks, just going through me. And I would just lie there and just bask in this afterglow. And as I'm becoming more, I suppose, proficient and learning more medicines and modalities, what I'm realizing is the issue is when we go through trauma, we have the freeze. And I have so many freezes in my body and so many blocks and locks and clenches that that constricts my energy. And that's what I've carried into my adulthood. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so if we look at the different medicines, so the Ayahuasca, I'm still on a journey. I haven't finished my journey with the Aya by any means. Yeah. It's you know, I kept on having identical trips. So I realized it wasn't able to get through some blockages. So I had to sit down and work out what was going on. And eventually I realized, uh, you know, they were the mind control blockages yeah. that, that were stopping it. So then I've had to go away and do a number of years working on dissociative mind control, which has yeah. been very good. The one which is absolutely profound, I can't, I don't know whether I could say any are better than the other, but they're useful for different things. So the Ayahuasca is very feminine and it, you know, it puts me in touch with the life force very, very well. Um, And there's a real beauty to that. Um, It's, it's, for me, it's very sexual in a sense, but it connects me to my masculine sexuality and, um, you know, it, it, it reinvigorated my attraction to women, if I can put it that way. Yeah. And that's something that wasn't safe for me because, you know, I had a number of women brutally killed in front of me mm-hmm. and they were layers underneath why I never felt, uh, why I never found women to be safe mm-hmm. and why I couldn't, you know, I did get married and had kids and that. But a- again, I was very, um, sex was never safe for me. So the only way I could be sexual was to focus on pleasing someone else and totally ignore myself yeah. because it wasn't safe for me to feel pleasure. Uh-huh. So there are all these layers. So so the Ayahuasca is really helping me on that journey. Okay. And the things I found on that, uh, felt on that were profound. And so it's bringing me back to life yeah. and reinvigorating my life force and in an incredibly powerful way. But I'm realizing I've got to do a lot of work on the side with that. So I've been working with a... Um, sexological body worker on that which again has been profound so I've realized there's parts of my body that I cut the circulation off from you know how I relate to my body sexually is I'm still not safe in it so I'm still on the journey there yeah you know and and that's been really important to do that um, with the medicines or I don't take the medicines when I do it but to do it you know in between the medicines Mm -hmm. because then what I'm learning from doing that then helps me when I go back and, you know, I take the Ayahuasca. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So I had, yeah, so I kept on getting identical trips. So I've done a lot of work. So the last time I went back and did the Aya, all of a sudden I didn't get the blocks. Okay. And it was a much, much better trip and a lot, much, lot, much less traumatic. So that's okay. where it's, um, that's a journey that I'm really enjoying. And I, you know, I have a profound... Okay. Um, desire to continue that journey. And the, what, what about the other ones? Well, the aboga 
has been really, really profound. And I think particularly for people who've been through traumatic childhoods. And mm. the aboga, I hadn't, I didn't know much about the typical Bawiti journey or things like that. So I went into it with an open mind. I did research it and read a lot about it. But the thing that the aboga did and continues to do, which is absolutely profound for me as a survivor of you know, abuse in a childhood, was it separated my childhood childhood from my adulthood mm-hmm. so all of a sudden it drew a line in the sand so rather than me reliving my trauma every time I had flashbacks or you know went to therapy or things like that and you know going through it all all of a sudden it's like there's this energetic barrier and it's like this is your childhood and this is your adulthood and mm. I think wow if I had done this when I was younger it would have profoundly changed my life it's profoundly changing it now and so now what happens is with the aboga, um, you know, on the flood, well, first of all, my ancestors came to me and my brother who was murdered came to me and he just said, Doug, you're doing amazing. I love you and da-da-da-da. And I got a lot of affirmation. I had, had some other relatives come to me who, you know, owned up to things that they had done, mm-hmm. which was, again, more pieces in the puzzle. So you got to realize I'm trying to put my life back together I'm trying to remember my life because I've been put through a process that is intentionally done to fragment that and to stop that yeah okay because I I, from what I've read like with satanic ritual abuse survivors a lot of their memories are blocked and when usually when they take psychedelics they can't actually they still can't remember anything but you're saying with the aboga you're, you're able to recall well part of my intention with the aboga was there were parts of me through dissociative therapy that I hadn't realized, well, I'd realized that I couldn't access. So on my journey with the aboga, I said, look, you know, I need to, you know, my intentions to access, you know, these parts of me, can you help me? And for me, I, you know, as I've talked to you before, my aboga trips are profound, like they're so clean cut, straightforward, matter of fact, no bullshit, but I have to... Um, not resist you know I've got I've got to move through and so during the journey I said to Mr. Aboga I said uh what about my intention and instantly I'm standing in front of myself crossing my uh you know uh arms and saying no way will you pass and he said as a child he said you made all these vows and um well, yeah, probably vows that they were more than affirmations. You know, I was so furious with my parents as a child mm. with what they were doing to me. I absolutely hated them with a vengeance because of the, the pain that they constantly inflicted on me. So I made these vows. You know, you're not my parents. God's not my only father and this and that. And, you know, so I, as a way of protecting myself as a child, I completely yeah, cut myself off, off from them. So I could avoid feeling being hurt again, again, again. And I still felt the hurt, but it was a way to try and mitigate it. And, you know, I'm I'm trying to survive in this horrific environment. So what what did the aboga do with that, sorry? Instantly, he said, well, well, he said, well, you know, you've made all these vows. So he said, you need to undo the vows. So I sat there during the thing and said, okay, I now renounce all vows of my childhood. I Mm. renounce all agreements. I renounce all the contracts and different things. And I let them all go. And so I trusted, you know, so I didn't resist. I trusted, and then instantly those two child parts were in front of me. Okay. And I accessed them directly. One of them was caring after the other, uh, looking after the other part, and the part that was looking after had something stuck in his heart 
a bit of metal in the heart was like a bit of gold. So I reached in, took the piece of gold and removed it. Mm. And so I healed that part of me, the part that needed the care no longer needed the care. And then over the ensuing six months with the skills I'd learned through working with my dissociative psych, I then was able to work with those two child parts and allow them to grow up and to mature. So normally it takes me about six months from when we start to, uh, you know, get in that internal therapy session And I'll do things where I get my child parts to come out, look at the hands, get them to realize that they're in an adult body now yeah. because they've been trapped in these time warps. Okay. You know? And, and what is the sort of, what is the sort of, uh, like how do you see this then reflected in your life, like the healing through these child parts? How does that then manifest? Well, because it's one of them. Do you feel I'm, more whole or? Well, I'm a lot more present. Okay. You know, I'm becoming more, my body's becoming safer and safer. Oh, okay. Um, I'm a lot less reactive. Like when I started uni, if someone went to scratch their head, I'd instinctively duck because I was used to being hit so much. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, my anxiety now, I mean, I can walk into a room, you know, to feel safe as a child, I had to walk into a room and know what everyone in the room was thinking. I had to be so hyper-vigilant so I could prepare for the abuse. I would know normally three to four hours ahead before my father was going to rape me Mm. because I could see psychologically how he was orchestrating things in the home so I knew what was coming. So I could, in a sense, prepare myself as much as I could. Okay. You know, so now I don't need to do that. I can switch into that if I want. I can walk, but it's but it's tiring. It's incredibly draining. Yeah, yeah. My metabolism was off the charts because I was spending so much energy being hyper vigilant. You know, yeah. dealing with anxiety. You know, it, it's all the energy that you're holding these doors closed. Yeah, yeah. Of all life these energy. things, and you're carrying that everywhere you go. Yeah. So for me, life gets better and better and better. Like for me. And I'm not through it yet, but life's a piece of cake compared to what it used to be. Yeah, You know, I don't have that gut-wrenching, you know, normally my stomach would live in my mouth my whole childhood. I would feel like throwing up constantly because of the level of trauma and anxiety. And it never stopped. You've got to realize as long as I was in that family home, I was under threat. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm talking about not just a sexual threat, but, you know, there are you know, I was, I was telling the guys the other day, you know, my parents realized that, you know, I wasn't compliant um, and that was life-threatening. So they would try and kill me. You know, they mm-hmm. took me to Narrabeen Beach. My father, you know, while the beaches were all closed. So why, why uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry to interrupt yeah, you there, no. but uh, we've got to sort of keep to time a little bit. Yeah. But, um, but all I'm saying is all of that now and what's happening now is I'm able to go back through the medicines and look at things a lot more objectively because mm-hmm. the medicines go to me, well, what was your father doing then? Rather than me focusing on, ah, 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 yeah, I've got to, I'm under threat, I'm under threat, I'm under threat, I've got to be safe. All of a sudden now as I'm healing more and more and more, the questions are coming up. Well, what did your father do? What was your mother doing? Where were your brothers and sisters? Mm. And so this is how the memories are all coming back. And I'm going, oh, they took me there to kill me. Yeah. You know, whereas previously it'd be like, oh, I almost died when I went to the beach. But you don't sit there and go, why? Yeah. Because you're, it, it's too painful to face that. Whereas mm. the medicines have healed me. Like now I'm like, okay, I've had a shit family, but I feel loved. 
Yeah. You know, there are lots of amazing people. I can create my own family. And so it's, it's my level of trauma and anxiety reduces. So the aboga, you know, I'm now an adult. And now when I go back and look at it, it you know, it's, it's from a distance. Okay. Not reliving it. Yeah, um, yeah. And the aboga is, um, I just love it. It's just, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just so. One of the few people. <laughs> well, he's just so, he's very, very, the medicines I find are very kind and very loving to me. Yeah, yeah. Because they realize what I've been through. Yeah. And I think they applaud that I'm facing it. Yeah, And yeah. so they help me as much the as they can. Yeah, I mean, I have I have talked to a, a, uh, another ritual satanic cult abuse survivor who who also got a lot out of a boga. Yeah, even though she tried the other medicines and hadn't gotten so much. Um, so it's interesting that that one can sort of go deeper than the it, other it's, ones. In, in <clears throat> retrospect, I may I would probably do things differently. I would probably, if I was going to start on the medicines, I'd probably start microdosing on the aboga. To okay. begin with, I mean, I don't think anything's wrong that I've been through. No, I, no, no. But it's with the you know the wisdom or hindsight of learning. Um, probably start to get the meta because I went in and I did a mega mega dose of Aya oh, yeah. and just got knocked out of this world and into yeah. other dimensions, which gave me PTSD. Yeah, or yeah. more PTSD. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was that it was that bad? The, okay. Some of the things I went through was so confronting. Yeah, and, and, it's too much too soon. Yeah, and so now I'd say... It, Gradual you know, titration. Yeah, titration where you're regulating. You can speed up or yeah. slow it down, and this is what I'm learning. So I'd say, because otherwise, like me, people are going to lose their shit. If they've yeah, got really yeah. bad trauma and they do a really heavy dose... Yeah, of course. It's, it's too it, much. It's going to be too much too quick. So I would probably, for people who've been through severe PTSD and trauma, start microdosing on the aboga, get to know it. You know, yeah, yeah. see how it interacts with your body, see how it interacts with you. Yeah. Um, for me, microdosing was brilliant. It just got all the clutter out of my head. When I did the flood dose, it, you know, my head was always racing a million miles an hour, which was again a trauma response of safety. I've got to know everything. I've got to know everything to feel safe. So on the aboga, I went through over an eight hour period and defragged my whole brain. Yeah. And so. Now I can sit here in perfect peace, which I've never been able to do. I can meditate at will anywhere, anytime. You know, I've been able to let go of my self-perception and just be. So yeah. there are gifts that have come to me with the different medicines. With the mushrooms, um, what I love about the mushrooms is they increase the capacity of my understanding. So where I used to see problems... I now see solutions. Okay. So if I get into a state where I'm feeling overwhelmed, where I'm starting to see the problems and I feel like I'm hitting towards a, a trauma wall or a breakdown, um, I go, okay, mushrooms. And I have the mushrooms, again, just microdosing. And instantly that sense of overwhelming is gone because the synapses in my brain mm -hmm. is firing up everywhere. Yep. And all of a sudden I'm going, right, I've got greater capacity. Okay, I can keep going on my healing journey. Otherwise, um, otherwise I've got to pull back until I've got enough capacity to keep going. Because what I'm being taught is if I go too quickly, I will blow my circuits because of the level of trauma Overload, in my system. Yep. Um, and if I force it in any way, then... I'm self-abusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I can be impatient, and I've had I've had to learn to be patient with myself, with the medicines and things. Yeah. And go at the pace 
uh, of, that my body goes. Yeah. yeah, no, I can relate to that. I yeah. think I, I went too hard in yeah. the beginning. You're trying to force. Yeah, and and then you've got to deal with the consequences. So. Yeah, but it's almost like your body can't catch up with yeah. where your spirit's gone. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. then you have to go backwards and do yeah. all this groundwork and embodiment and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah. And the cactus has been good as well. I'm s- still going to do a bit more on it. I did. Uh, when did the cactus come in for you? Oh, it's, this is San Pedro um, for people who aren't aware it's with masculine, yeah, and, masculine and bearing peyote. cacti. So I did, a, again, a very strong dose on a cactus walk. And was I, this after the ayahuasca? Yeah, after. Okay. So I started, I did, I think, three or four ayahuascas, and then I decided to do a cactus walk. Mm-hmm. Um, the cactus, again, all the medicines I find are quite clear with me. When, when you go through trauma, and because you go out of your body to, to feel safe, you, uh, you normally develop a lot of very powerful psychic abilities. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us who've been through ritual satanic abuse, well, one, we're normally gifted in it. My family has got a very strong psychic ability. Yep. Um, so I have that in the bloodline already. But then when I'm traumatized, so for me, it's very easy to connect to the spiritual realms. Yes. And I think that makes it easier for me on the medicines too because that's something I'm used to. I've, I've seen that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when I went on the cactus, so when the medicines speak to me, I hear them quite clearly. Yeah. I don't, I'm not like, uh, what are they saying? It's like, oh, they've told me to do this. So on the cactus I took it, it kicked in very, very quickly um, and the cactus just came to me and it said, oh, you know how you had chronic fatigue? Because I was, you know, I've had periods of severe illness and where I've been, you know, I've been told I'm going to die and things like that from the effects of the trauma on my body. Um, so it said, oh, when you had chronic fatigue, it said, you turn your life force down to one out of 10. So you didn't feel the pain, hmm. you know, and because that was a survival mechanism. It said, right, we're going to fix that. And he just went, boom, and turned my life force straight in that instant up to five out of 10. Well, I almost jumped out of my body in the middle of the park and you know, all of a sudden I've got five times the energy that I'm used to. Mm. Um, And I'm just having to, you know, I spent, I don't know how many hours that day just running nonstop. I could not stop. And I'd get exhausted and I'd stop, but then boom, I'd be back in the psychedelic realms and up running again. So it was, Mm. it took me six to 12 months to readjust to that high energy level. Mm. And I knew I had to. And that's where a lot of times what the medicines bring up, you know, because trauma affects your body. And yep. in recent years, I've been doing a lot more somatic work. Um, it's all energy flow. But some of the, sometimes the lessons are just like that. That took three seconds or five <laughs> seconds for him to give it to me. But then the consequences, it took me, you know, a year to integrate yep. that back into my lifestyle. So yep. that's why for me, it's... It's almost like to adjust the nervous system to be able to accommodate like a higher charge. Oh, yeah. You imagine you five times, you know, normally I would be, I had things when I was really bad in chronic fatigue, I'd lay down for a nap and I'd wake up three days later. Okay. Sometimes I'd be lying on the floor, I couldn't pick up a fork to eat. Wow. You know, it would be so profound, the fatigue, but I didn't realize at the time how much it was trauma related. So mm. the more I go on my journey, the more things make sense and why I understand the cause and effect, the more I get, it's, it's like I'm doing a jigsaw puzzle and I'm slowly getting more pieces to the puzzle and the pictures forming and all that sort of thing. Mm. But the medicines have been a profound part of that. And also I wanted to talk, you did MDMA therapy as well. Yeah, MDMA I Would did Would that be well. a good entry point level sort of medicine for complex PTSD for the survivors? Because it doesn't have the complications of psychedelics. Well, it doesn't, but I actually prefer 
the psychedelics. Okay. And the reason I do is how I used MDMA, which is they're about to reschedule it in Australia so it can be used in therapy. And what they use it for is in order to heal, we need to remember. Okay. And a lot of times we don't want to remember because it's too painful. Yeah. Okay, so then we go on in life and I've got people I know like this who they can't get past that trauma block yep. because it's too painful for them. And so they go on in life just carrying this pain with them everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. So the value of the psilocybin and EMDMA is in a medium dose, it calms the amygdala and it allows you to remove that fear barrier and you can go into the memories, access the memories process them while you're not feeling the fear and so then when the medicine wears off you can move on yeah 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 okay so i last year i tried it with the mdma and then i also tried it with the mushrooms to compare them is this with a therapist no no just by myself okay yeah because there's no one who could do it yeah um and so i had to do it a month apart the medicines are very clear with me that i have to spend that my downtime between the medicines is yeah. just as, as important as my time with medicines because I've got to take time to process. With the MDMA, I think I took uh, one capsule. I don't know what's in it. I'm assuming it was a medium dose. You know, I set myself up in a room, music, you know, intentions. I had guided meditations. I had notebooks, you know, music instrument, every, everything I needed just to sit in the room. And I set that aside as a self-care day for me with the intention to recover memories. As the MDMA kicked in, I could feel my amygdala calm. Like to begin with, you get nervous, and then all of a sudden it started to come down. I felt totally calm and, you know, that peace and that love with the world and everything. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden there's a door in front of me, and he goes, well, if you want to go in there, there's a pile of memories in there. So I open the door, walk in, there were a whole pile of memories about being trafficked. Yeah. So I didn't react. I go, okay. Went in there, collected the memories, came out, wrote them all down, and then... It was just very matter-of-fact like that. And mm. that was, um, I mean, that was a, a very simple, straightforward, easy experience. Mm-hmm. When I did it a month later on the psilocybin, the mushrooms basically, you know, same... What kind of dosage was this? I think I took about two grams. Okay, yeah. Um, and I'm very, very sensitive. So yeah, yeah. it's, you know, a little bit, I get my money's worth a little no, bit. No, standard long therapeutic yeah. dose is three to four. So it's just, you yeah. Know, Two still therapeutic. Yeah, therapeutic. so it started off different. It's For me, the medicines is much more of a dialogue that goes mm-hmm. on. And so the mushrooms guided me on it. So I could feel my amygdala come down and they're going, okay, this is the way that we think would be most beneficial for you to do it. And so basically, rather than just walk into a room and opening it, we'd go and get one memory and sit down and look at it, process it, look at the best way to integrate it. Then a few hours later, we'd come and get another one. And so it was a a much more um, involved day, if I could Mm -hmm. put it that way, but much more interactive and personal. Mm -hmm. So therapeutically, I think it was a lot better. So I had to deal with less after the trip, whereas on the MDMA, I had to deal with more. Mm -hmm. But they're both very effective. But that was my my experience with trying them and comparing them. Mm-hmm. But both very, very valuable. And again, afterwards, you know, the gauge that I go is, I go, okay, I've remembered this. Okay, 
here's another two piece, pieces in the puzzle. Ah, okay, this makes sense now, and this and this and this. So all of a sudden, you know, it's like you get a, if you're doing a jigsaw puzzle of a, you know, of a beautiful landscape, you yeah. go, oh, okay, there's a river there. Oh, yeah, I remember there's a bit of stream that comes into okay. this. And so everything keeps making more and more sense as I go along. As I said, there's okay. still, you know, big gaps in the jigsaw. Yeah, because I'm just thinking in terms of some people might be, who listening to this, yep. might be just thinking, how how do we know that you're not just sort of making, and I don't mean any offense to this. No, 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 it's a valid question. Yeah, like how Because you've got to realize I have a program in, in me that says constantly, are oh, you making up, it's all bullshit, it's all bullshit. Yeah, yeah, up. yeah. And I have a suicide program in me that says, if you tell anyone about this, you've got to kill yourself. Yeah. And this is standard. When I talk to other survivors, we all have the same thing. And this is another thing which is fascinating is they've used the same techniques pretty much on all of us. That's how yeah. dumb they are. I mean, I... I think these people that do this stuff are incredibly stupid. Um, well, seriously. <laughs> Among <they're>, other objectives. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but uh, you know, it's. I always think the deceivers are the most deceived. Yeah, You yeah. know, they have these, um, you know, illusions of grandeur and all the rest of it. They're, they're totally, totally deceived. You know, and I've got personal experience with my father with that. Yeah. But it's... Um, but we've noticed we all have very, very, very distinct patterns in terms of what we re- uh, remember when and the stimuli and how it affects us and impacts okay. us. So talking to other survivors, like, you know, most of my life I've had this track in the background going, kill yourself, kill yourself, kill okay. yourself. And once you realize what it is, you ignore it. And I've now, through going to that dissociative part and sat down with us, and I go to them, you, you, you're not got a full life doing this have you and it goes no and they go are you bored of this he goes yeah i'm sick of it i don't want to spend you know a whole life you know being a tape recorder playing the same thing so i appeal to the humanity of my different parts yeah and then as i work with that part of me and i say well what would you like to do and it might go well i'd like to play music so i go okay well let's go yeah no this is textbook uh, internal family systems yeah yeah but but then when you give those internal parts of you jobs that they really love and then they start to feel safe with other parts of yep. you you start to integrate and then as you start to integrate that voice in the back of your head it goes away because yeah, it, it doesn't away. want to do it anymore and then the 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 effect of that is you become more present more yep. embodied yep uh less reactive yeah and then i remember more so at the moment i'm because i'm doing a lot of somatic therapy and what the medicines have been doing we've been talking about it is we stop the at at times we stop the hallucinogenic effects and we go back into the body and I start to feel what it's doing to my body because mm-hmm. it's, you got to realize for me, my it, it's hard for me to be in my body because that's not my normal state. Yeah. And so like I've, I get, you know, cuts all over my body and I'll be bleeding from doing things and I won't realize it. I won't feel the pain yeah, because yeah. often I turned off pain as a child okay. and as a survival mechanism. Yeah. You know, um, and so at the moment, my journey with a number of the medicines is it's, okay, let, let's put the psychedelics, on, let's put the visuals aside yep. and let's start to work from my toe all the way up, toes up to my head and see if I can feel my body or be more present in my body than I've ever felt. Because all of a sudden I'm going, oh, is this what a bed feels like? Because all of a sudden I'm feeling the softness of lying on a bed on a level I've never felt in my life before. Well, the more embodied you are, the more present you become. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I, I completely relate to that because I actually think that, yeah, the real gold, 
at least for this part of my journey with psychedelics, is actually going into the body instead of trying to leave it and yeah. going off into the cosmos or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And there's well, the, well, the, well it's a balance with all of it. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely using the psychedelics to actually go deeper into the body. Yeah. Um, so I, is are you saying that that's how you, for the listener who might be listening to this, saying, oh, how do we know that Doug's not just making this stuff up yep. and, and tripping? Yeah. Um, the proof is actually when you come down and you resolve this stuff, uh, you feel tangible effects. In oh, your totally. Body. But but the, the trip is just the beginning. It, 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 it's a small element. In, in, it's an intensive where you're intensively doing things. But again, what I do in that trip, then in the days, the weeks, the months, the years afterwards, mm-hmm. that plays out. Yeah. And then I, you know... It, as we all get, we get these incredible epiphanies and understandings and awarenesses mm-hmm. as a result of doing that trip. But the medicine then gives us that in. in 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 the time that follows. But for me, the the truth is in my body. My body is the truth because mm-hmm. all of a sudden I'm more relaxed than I've ever been. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden uh, I'm like, oh, I'm not carrying that. Oh, okay, that trauma was there. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is how. This situation in my life affected me. If I came out of it and there was no change to how I moved through the world, yeah. I'd probably sit there and go, okay, is that real or not? And I question everything because I have a program that says bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Yeah, yeah, me too. So, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's the bane so, of my existence. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, oh, you're making it up. And my family, you've got to realize my family don't support me in this in terms of my, my parents or siblings. You yeah. know, they try and discredit me every way they can. And yeah. they are very mind-controlled, which I've admitted to, and they've all been through huge trauma too. But, you know, my siblings in particular, like they just totally shut down. You know, there's issues with addictions and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's, too so much. I become a greater threat to them. So then for me to be around them isn't safe for them. Okay. Because I'm dealing with my past while they're not. Yeah. And so I become a bigger and bigger threat. So they treat me worse and worse and worse. Oh. You know, oh. and particularly my mother, she will gaslight me like you wouldn't believe. Oh, yeah. don't be stupid. Oh, you know, there's all oh, this, you know, and go around behind my back to people I know and constantly, she, you know, she'll do the nice thing. Oh, I'm really worried about Doug. And mm. that gives her, that's her program to give her the input to start undermining me and saying, oh, I'm worried about that. Is she uh, directly involved with the satanic cult stuff? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 I still, as I said, there's still gaps in my memory. So I'm still, I'm I'm still finishing. There's big gaps in the jigsaw puzzle. It never ends. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it does. It's it's quite, well, it does end. And that's what I've said to myself. Because sometimes I think, you know, you get to a point, you think, you know, like when I, assimilated all my 20 dissociative parts I thought wow I've got there and then all of a sudden the next thing that came up was mind control and Mm. then I realized there's another whole pile of parts that were hidden behind the mind control mechanism so then I had to go and deal with that and now I'm dealing with all the mind control parts but all in all you'd say you're highly functional fairly happy I'm very happy. Very happy. I have a very strong self-love. You enjoy life. I love life. So, you know, that's pretty good. It is. I, I still you, have my bad days. That's some, pretty. Yeah. Some days I can't. I can't get out of bed. It's, yeah. Some days I wake up. Wake up, and I, I've learned to self-care. Yeah. And so I, I've been a workaholic as a, a another escape mechanism. Yeah. So I'm restructuring my life. So rather than. Um, trying to be safe everywhere, I'm learning how to be just safe in me. 
Yeah. And that, for me, you got to realize that I, you know, I don't know what it is to have a normal family. Yeah. I don't know what it is to feel I'm the love. I'm not sure if anyone does, but well, no, I, but, I, I understand yeah. that you, you, you know, I don't know what it is to feel the love <laughs> of a mother, of a father. I don't know what it is to feel normal. Yeah. And the more I go on my journey, I'm learning what that's like. Okay. And some of the things that people who've been through really nice lives take for granted, I'm like, oh my gosh, this feels amazing mm. because I've never felt it before. Yeah. Or I've never felt it on that level before. So for me, as I heal, life just gets better and better and better and better. Oh, wow. And so the things I appreciate now, you know, probably in five years' time, I'm going to appreciate even more. Great. But the, the medicines have been a profound, you know, part of that journey that I'm so thankful for. And, you know, I'd encourage other people to do it, but to do it at their pace and to start microdosing and to start with, you know, yeah. with people who know what they're doing. Yeah. I'd also like to say that, you know, obviously everyone's path with healing and medicine, yeah, yeah, especially is highly individual. Yeah. But uh, no, definitely I do agree. Yeah. Slow, yeah. <laughs> slow and steady because wins the race, especially I've... if you've been... Uh, the victim of satanic ritual cult abuse. Yeah. You don't want to... Um, well, I, I know a lot of people who went really strong to begin with, like me, and never did it again because yeah, it freaked yeah. them out so much. It's too much. Yeah, too much whereas too soon. if they'd maybe started slower and built up to it and started to build some resilience and understanding, you know, they may be still on the path. All right. Um, any final words before we finish, um, Just to say to people to, to look into it. it. It's For me, it's been incredibly worthwhile. I've got friends who've been through ritual satanic abuse as well, as well who've done the medicines, gone to Peru and that. I did them all in Australia because that was more culturally relevant to me. Yep. And I really enjoyed that. But it's it's a beautiful journey. Okay. It, it's, it's confronting. You've got to face yourself. But it's worth it. All right. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Doug, for Thanks, sharing Nick. your wisdom. Thanks for all your help on my journeys. <laughs> really appreciate Don't it. Don't incriminate me here, Doug. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying anything. No, uh, yes, no, your, uh, your wisdom's been for my, incredible. For um, yeah. uh, uh, consultation sessions. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> thanks so much, Doug. Appreciate and, it. Thank uh, you, Nick. And thank you for all your help, too. Yeah, likewise. All right. Take care. Yeah, okay, that was Doug McIntyre. Um hope you enjoyed or found that interesting maybe enjoy is the wrong word again um yeah i found it very fascinating myself to interview doug and to find more and more about uh the darker corners of the human condition in this world um and uh yeah not to discount my own suffering but it did relativize my own moaning about my own family and uh after coming home i gave my mom a big hug uh from that interview because uh, I was visiting him at the same time and I said mom I'm so glad that you are not a minion of Satan so if you'd like to support this webcast podcast but you know all the words they're just words please support me on Patreon uh, just look up Nick's on Patreon and so I can keep putting more stuff like this out there please click like subscribe uh, spread it around as much as possible um, if you want to find out more information, um, about Doug, just message me. Um, I'm not really sure where he stands on contact and stuff like that. Um, some of this, uh, subject material is quite, um, triggering to some people. So he, he tells me that he gets, uh, a lot of flack sometimes 
on the internet, so I'll, I'll have to be the go-between there. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you next time. Lots of love.